Hey, welcome back to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. I am Ben Standard. I host uh, this podcast, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. Jam-packed episode here for you. I'm talking to you guys on a Sunday night. I'll have this up by Monday morning. Um, I'll have a, a, a new article up on The Athletic on Monday, which I'll get into in a second as well. But here's the guest lineup today. Jim Nagy, I believe he's the executive director for the Senior Bowl. He's also going to be now an ESPN analyst for uh, going into the NFL Draft. Uh, We talked this week with regards to the NFL Draft. The Senior Bowl was the only event really going this uh, uh, post-college football season uh, with the combine wiped out. So Jim got an up-close look at a lot of the players we'll be talking about uh, going into the late April draft. So we got into... um, Mac Jones, Kadarius Toney, a bunch of other players that were at the Senior Bowl that were not at the Senior Bowl, and we'll get into some Washington specifics. Then uh, my pal Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan comes on. Uh, We each came up with three ideas that we think Washington should look to execute this offseason, and this is off of an idea I have or a story that I have executed that's up on the website. It will be Monday morning, at least by the time you hear this. Uh, sort of a 10-step plan, more or less, that things Washington can do. I wouldn't say that they're only thing. I'm not saying it's definitive list, but 10 ideas I thought that were reasonable to consider going forward uh, or, or for Washington in this offseason. Free agency starts, uh, you know, Monday is March 1st. Free agency effectively is starts on March 15th when free agent talks can begin. And obviously the draft is late April. So things are moving along here pretty quickly. So fun conversation all the way around. I won't dilly-dally too much here in the beginning. Uh, did we just want to say greatly, greatly appreciate a bunch of you uh, listen to me, to, to my plea on the last podcast and went into iTunes and put in a rating, uh, wrote a review. Uh, I really do appreciate it without question. Uh, well, let's see here. We had some reviews from, among others, uh, Disappointed DMV, Newberry HC, uh, Che Guevara, WFT in Saudi Arabia, Antoine in Virginia, uh, among others. I really appreciate everybody doing that. It all helps. So they tell me. So I definitely appreciate it for sure that you guys are out there uh, checking out the podcast. So definitely appreciate that. And of course, um, I mentioned the Athletic. You can subscribe there. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you're doing your podcasting. So, um, you know, really all I got to say about that, there'll be obviously a lot more we'll get into this week. I already have another fun interview planned for Monday that I'll drop later in the week. I'm not trying to tease it, but I don't always want to say, because if things, you know, somehow there's a, there's a snafu, then, you know, that, then I've teased something that doesn't exist. So hopefully everything will go well and we'll have a fun interview, uh, at least one more podcast later in this week. Uh, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to dawdle here too much. We talked probably about an hour and a half worth of podcasting. So let's get to it. We're going to start with Jim Nagy, uh, executive director of the Senior Bowl and ESPN College uh, football slash NFL draft analyst. And then our pal Grant Paulson here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Very excited uh, f- for this conversation we're about to have. NFL draft is always a big topic here. Uh, for any, any, any NFL fan base, but I certainly enjoy it and nobody better to talk to than the man who pulled off, uh, I think something a lot of people didn't think was possible, pull off a, a really successful Senior Bowl. He is Jim Nagy, executive director of the Senior Bowl, and now a contributor uh, with ESPN. Again, Jim, I really appreciate it. Uh, 
uh, how did how did how did you do it? <laughs> how, how did you guys how were you guys able to navigate? Obviously, the combines canceled. The world as we know it is not normal, but I'm sure there were some some differences. But how were you guys able to sort of pull it all off? Yeah, it, it you know again, thanks for having me back on. It's always good to talk to you, Ben. Um, it just took a lot of a lot of planning and being fluid with it, as everything nowadays, you know, going through COVID. So um, kind of had a plan going into the fall. Um, plan kind of changed, you know, once football started to be played at the college level, the NFL level. Just took a lot of a lot of conversations with with friends at both of those levels. What was working, what wasn't working, um, and really all the way up to the point where our, our coaching staffs were named Carolina and Miami getting on a zoom call with them and their training staffs um, and medical people. Um, and even, even, you know, so two, two weeks out, we even altered it a little bit more. Um, the goal was just to keep everyone safe. You know, we were not going to have the senior bowl if we didn't feel like we could execute the plan effectively and keep everyone safe and uh, happy to report finally now that it's in the rear view that, um, you know, over 3,600 tests during the week, all the NFL guys every day, uh, the players every day, um, th over 3,600 tests with one positive. So, um, yeah, it was a really successful week from our perspective and uh, just glad to, to be able to pull it off for the players who had such a weird year and the, you know, football yo-yoed for them. And then uh, these NFL teams as well, knowing the challenges they had, you know, actually trying to scout these players this fall and not being at, on campuses, at, you know, every day. Um, just glad that we, we brought those two groups together and they, they got all our work done. So obviously the senior bowl is always a big part of the off season, the pre-draft conversation this year, the, the, the weight on the, on the, is even more so the practices and the game, because there's no combine, there will be pro days, but it's hard to know, I guess, exactly. Not every pro day will be the same, different weather, different conditions. Team, schools may run things differently or, you know, it's not all that, that day. So you're not everybody's doing it the same day. So who knows? how that goes. So like I said, that's going to put even more weight uh, for you. I guess that all, and the other part of this was, you know, teams are having to adjust themselves. You know, they obviously couldn't do everything they want to do normally. So they had to take advantage of this uh, as best they could. Um, I know conditions were as close to normal as possible, but not exactly, uh, you know, not as much face-to-face -face or one-on-one -on -one direct interaction. How did you notice either at the senior bowl or maybe just in general, as you've talked to people, how teams are adjusting specifically to this new world and trying to get information and ideas of these players. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest part of not being at the schools every day is you can't walk down the hallway and knock on the offensive line coach's door and, you know, shut it behind you and ask him, you know, really sensitive questions about maybe a player's learning ability or his toughness um, things that, uh, wouldn't necessarily come across in a Zoom call. I think the uh, the schools were very good this year about having, you know, setting up Zoom calls for the NFL folks. And they were really gracious letting our senior bowl staff get on those Zoom calls and, and take notes and listen in. Um, but again, it's just, you're, you're going to be a little more guarded, um, right? If it's one-on-one -on -one as opposed to a Zoom with 80 NFL scouts on it. So um, I do feel like the league feels like they've gotten a little more vanilla information than they would in a normal year. That's why it was really important for us to ensure the NFL teams and the players that they were going to get face-to-face -face here. It wasn't going to be a Zoom setting. It was going to be face-to-face. -face. The, 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 you know, the players are going to be able to tell their side of the story. That's the one part of going through the, the fall scouting process is you go into the school, you work, your, you work years to develop relationships at those schools, um, whether it's from the custodial staff to the 
you know, the, the academic advisor to the position coach or a coordinator, um, you know, you, you put in all that work, but you always hear their side. It's always great hearing the player side um, of where he came and, you know, why things have gone the way they've gone in his life. Um, so we just tried to create that for them down here. And they, they did, they got that. All 31 teams that were here got 15 minutes with every player. And uh, they also had an opportunity to put in for additional time with a handful of players as well. So um, yeah, I just feedback from the NFL guys. It was invaluable for them just because they got to drill down deeper than they would have, you know, on a zoom call and, and really get face to face, which that's the changing part of the pro day um, is that there, there, there probably is not going to be that face to face interaction. A lot of recruiting goes on at pro days. You know, it's not so much for the, you know, the, the high, high draft picks. It's for the guys that are, you know, maybe later day three or guys that are going to sneak into free agency. Um, so there's dinners the night before there's lunches after the workout where you're really, it becomes a recruiting day for you as a scout. Um, so they're probably not going to have the opportunity to do that without any, without any COVID testing. So that's really the dynamic right now that the guys that are probably being impacted the most by this change pro day format are the guys that, you know, might get to rookie free agency. Um, for, for, for sure. Now, the senior bowl obviously it takes on significance for all teams. And I'm sure there's different stories that every franchise could have about finding players at the senior bowl. The last two years, Washington, I don't know if there's another team that has had uh, more uh, fines, <laughs> successful fines the, the, the last two years, uh, 2019 Terry McLaurin goes from a sort of a, maybe more of a day three thought at receiver he jumps all the way up to the third round to Washington and I think a lot of it obviously he did some good things at Ohio State but a lot of it seemed to be what he was able to show as a receiver at the senior bowl and then last year we know uh, that Antonio Gibson really stood out to the coaching staff to, they really were excited to to get him um I, I guess on some level the, those opportunities still exist but do you did I guess do you think that those chances for those kinds of guys to really stand out was as op, was still there kind of this year? And were there some guys at the senior bowl this year who maybe are this year's McLaurin and, and Gibson? Yeah. Yeah. Those guys, uh, like you said, brought up Terry. Terry was probably a fifth or sixth round pick for everyone in the league, you know, just based off our phone calls going into our selection process and uh, went in the third, like you said, now in hindsight should have went in the first. Um, And then Antonio Gibson coming here and be able to showcase himself as a running back. You know, when I watched his college tape at receiver, um, he definitely did good things, but the best thing about him was how strong he was with the ball in his hands. And, uh, you know, I I told Antonio when we invited him, like you're coming here as a running back. Like, I think you could be, you could make it in the league as a wide receiver, but I feel like you have a chance to be a really good running back. Um, so it's, it's, it's where Washington valued them. I mean, they found value in both those guys to, uh, you know, I think everyone saw the same thing. It's where they, you know, they kind of the strategy of the draft, how high do we have to take this player? Um, so I think that Washington did, did a great job on both those guys, as well as Jimmy Moreland, um, the corner who, you know, and they take him in the seventh round and they've gotten two really good years of football out of Jimmy. So um, yeah, the, I think I think the Red, the Washington football team has done a great job just as ass- assessing value of those players. And, uh, you know, a guy that you, know, you bring up a guy this year um, that may fit into that category, he's kind of the reverse um, of Gibson is Demetric Felton, the receiver from uh, UCLA. Well, he was more of a running back for UCLA, um, played, played some wide receivers, a sophomore. Um, and that's really where I saw his his long term fit being. 
Um, so we brought him here as a wideout. He did that exclusively. He did a bunch of return stuff. Um, I think he showed plenty on tape at UCLA what he could do out of the backfield and as a, you know, kind of a change of pace third down back. But coming here, running routes outside, running routes in the slot, um, showing his savvy. I mean, his, his route polish was better than most of the receivers we had at the game this year. His ability to separate and get open um, and catch the ball consistently, really natural hands. So he, he really helped himself. So, to you know, kind of keeping in that Antonio Gibson realm, um, Dimitri Felton is a guy that, that uh, fans out there in Washington should keep an eye on. All right. Uh, he, he was on my list of players to ask about, so I can check that one uh, okay. off. Uh, we're, we're talking here with uh, Jim Nagy, executive director of the Senior Bowl. You can, of course, follow him on Twitter. Really good follow if you're into the draft, uh, at Jim Nagy underscore SB. And by the way, he's got the hashtag, the draft starts in Mobile. And like I said, when you're talking about where Washington's success has been the last couple of years, uh, in terms of, you know, everybody kind of knew Chase Young, the finding these other guys is what kind of can, can separate you um, as a team as you're, as you're bringing in more talent is what you can do on day two and three and, 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 uh, and, and build some pieces up. Um, I want to ask, though, about round one. Uh, Washington has the 19th pick. Obviously, there's a free agency comes first, so it's a little hard to know exactly what they'll be needing at that moment. Two players, though, that were in the game in your game that I think are constantly in play for Washington at 19. One is quarterback Mac Jones from Alabama, and one is wide receiver Kadarius Toney from Florida. I, I think Tony to me, makes a lot of sense for what Scott Turner likes to do, um, put guys in motion, dual threats. Uh, you know, he, use him in the slot. He can he can run a bit. He's got some returner in his game. He's just a a guy who was like one of these video game type type players. Uh, what what stood out to you about him? And is he the type of player that in this draft in particular, where receiver seems to be pretty deep? That that does he kind of you think he kind of fits at nineteen? Yeah, I mean, to Mac Jones, I don't think he'll be there at nineteen. I right. really don't. Um, but with Tony, I think Tony would be a great addition to that team. I mean, they really need somebody um, to take pressure off Terry and uh, they need to find that guy. And the nice thing about Kadarius is you can play him in the slot. You can play him outside. You can do a lot of the things being creative with him. Kind of how San Francisco has used Debo Samuel over the last couple of years, who was, who was in Mobile two years ago as well with Terry. Um, Kadarius is one of the most electric players in college football. I mean, like you said, the, he's kind of the human joystick element to him. Um, change, you know, incredible crisp change of direction, really explosive, um, you know, just has that innate playmaking ability. And what makes Kadarius a little different for 191 pounds, you know, he's 5'11", one here, 191 pounds. Um, you know, he's really strong. He's deceptively strong for a guy that size, his ability to, you know, power through contact and break tackles and bounce off stuff uh, is really, really unique. So he's a guy that if you are creative, if you have an offensive coordinator that you, you, you know, really like in terms of being creative and getting guys involved, Kadarius is the perfect guy. Um, the more, the more you can get the ball in his hands, the better. And uh, again, I think the sky's the limit, you know, Kadarius in a situation at Florida, that was a stacked receiver room while he was there with guys like Van Jefferson and Tyree Cleveland and, and Swain. Um, they've had a lot of NFL players, you know, go through that through that group, but he was always the most dynamic one, you know, and they were always kind of held back before Kyle Trask in terms of getting him the football as well. So, um, yeah, I think he'd be a, a tremendous, tremendous addition to that Washington uh, offense. Um, they could, it's possible, obviously, they, they may not take receiver in the first round, but again, it does feel like this is a group that's pretty deep. Was there anybody else either at the senior bowl or just anybody else that sort of caught your mind if we get to sort of like day two, 
that stands out. And I guess I would just say for my guess, like obviously Terry McLaurin is really good. You've got two big receivers in Cam Sims and Antonio Gandy Golden, uh, Gandy Golden, who just basically had a red shirt year last year, more or less. But you've got these two guys on the outside who have got some good size. Uh, kind of wonder if maybe they go with a, a, a Tony type player in the slot, but I think anything is in play. So any kind of receiver that, that makes sense to you possibly for them in uh, day two or later. Yeah, that, that's where they're going to have to figure out, like they've done such a good job as we talked about the strategy of the draft. You know, do we take one in one? Because there's, it's such a deep group. It's very similar to last year. You look at guys, even out of our game, Michael Pittman Jr. had a great year in Indy. Chase Claypool had an awesome year for Pittsburgh. Um, so you're going you're gonna to be able to find receivers. I really think the smart move right now in this year's draft is to really target thinner position groups. Um, you don't need it there in Washington, but the, the D-line position's really thin this year. So I think teams should do that. Um, there's a lot of depth at receivers. So like you said, Antonio Gandy golden was in our game last year. Uh, really believe in that player's upside. You know, big guy, athletic. Um, you should have seen what Antonio, I think it, I, I think it hit Twitter at some point, uh, but he's, he had his gymnastics background and all the flips and stuff he was doing just after our right. game was ridiculous. So you're talking about a really big athletic guy that had a red shirt year that could really break out. So yeah, you look at the you know you look at the slot type guys, the D. Eskridge from West from uh, Western Michigan, who's uh, you know really dynamic returner, really dynamic with the ball in his hands, played at a completely different speed um, in the MAC conference than than everyone else, and then he comes down to the Senior Bowl and practiced two days and then got hurt, but um, the first two days was almost uncoverable. Um, the speed showed up down here. He's just running away from people, so he's he's a really cool guy to keep in mind. Um, you know, kind of in that, like we talked about Felton, I think is a really good one. Then Amari Rogers had a great week down here as well from Clemson. Um, his senior tape looked a lot different than his junior tape. Junior year, you know, he's coming off an, off an ACL, looked a lot more explosive this year. So um, those are some names, Shai Smith from South Carolina. They're going to they're gonna be able to find, you know, guys that can come in and help right away in the slot in rounds two and three. Um, I think their top need defensively is that linebacker. You mentioned the defensive line. I think they're pretty good there. Um, but what's behind them is, is, the, is the question. And, you know, there's some linebackers who, who are in play perhaps at, at 19. Um, but you had some guys in your game as well. Um, and obviously they may not take somebody on, on day one from the linebacker. I guess what's your things, thoughts of the group? And then is there anybody, again, either that was at your game or, or just in general in this class that you think is uh, an interesting possible three down uh, player for them? Yeah, Jeremiah Wusu Karamoa from Notre Dame. We did a lot of work on. He was a, a junior graduate in December. We thought he we thought he was uh, had a good chance coming here to Mobile, but didn't. So we've done a lot of work on Jeremiah. Really good player, like you said. Everyone's looking for three down guys that can cover um, and play in space, and he's he can definitely do that. Um, Chaz Rapp from North Carolina is a guy we did have in the game down here. Did an awesome job. Um, Jabril Cox from LSU is another guy. North Dakota State transfer. Um, going to run fast. I mean, it might be four, four fast. I mean, it, the dude can fly. And uh, he really played a nickel spot at North Dakota state this year, going to LSU, he played more of a traditional linebacker role, but to see what he did in coverage down here and one-on-ones um, did a tremendous job. So there is, I think there, there's some really good linebackers in play too, in that, in that second round area that, you know, kind of fit where the league's going right now is that second level space defender. Since you mentioned Awusu Karamoa, uh, let me ask you a little more about him. Uh, we just had to do a group mock draft at the Athletic at the 19th pick. That's who I took. Mac Jones was technically there, but I, I basically said, I don't think he's either going to be there or I think Washington will 
have already addressed the quarterback. So I just kind of pretended he didn't exist. So I went with, <laughs> I went with the linebacker. Um, people have, you know, because people have rational takes. No, I think people have been reasonable on Twitter about this. Part of their question was, well, it feels like this guy, he isn't maybe a, a, a traditional bulky linebacker. He's more of a, a rover guy. I think that's kind of what he was playing at Notre Dame. And Washington already has Landon Collins. Cam Curl was a kind of a big surprise for them. So maybe that's overkill to have him if you're going to keep those guys. What, what do you kind of say to that? And I know you're not watching Washington uh, all the time, but just uh, in general sense, like how would a guy like that fit into to what they're trying to do? Yeah, I would, I would say this. I think Jeremiah, one of his issues um, finishing up the season there at Notre Dame was he was really light. Um, you know, he was like 205 pounds from what I understand. So now you're talking about a guy that, again, another guy from our game last year, Kalik Hudson, who I know got on the field late for Washington, was a really good special teams player. To me, it seems like they have a lot of those guys. I mean, if you're talking about a 210, 215-pound linebacker, um, he's almost more of a strong safety. Um, so it kind of adds to what they have. You know, that's what Landon was when, when he came out. Um, so to me, a bigger guy might make more sense. But JLK is a really, really good player. There's no arguing that. I mean, you can label him whatever you want to. He's a gonna guy that's going to be on the field all three downs. It's just like you don't want too many of the same thing. Um, but he's a, re he's a really good player. If, you're, if you were there at 19, that'd be a good pick. Yeah, I just like the idea of getting more speed on the field, but uh, I think it's I think it's a reasonable point that perhaps it's overkill for that specific spot. And look, obviously, a mock draft two months out doesn't mean <laughs> that much. It's just here's where we're at right this moment in time, but yeah. things will change, especially because free agency is going to come first. Um, I, I guess I'd be remiss. I think by law, I have to ask specifically about quarterbacks. <laughs> you mentioned you don't think Mac Jones will be there. It does feel like after the Senior Bowl, his stock is is going up and and obviously a lot of teams ahead of Washington uh, could use a, could, could use a quarterback maybe you know the Patriots at 15 sort of the team right and closest to them um, but could be that guy um, I, I guess here, here's my question I guess on Mac Jones I was looking back you were kind enough to talk to me along with some other people back during the season when I think I think most of us thought Washington might have a top five pick and I was asking kind of what's the best angle to go with. And one question we sort of had on Justin Fields was that you brought up was that it's a little hard to tell sometimes with these Ohio state quarterbacks, because they just have so much talent around him. He's got so much time to throw. He's got these great receivers. And how do you kind of assess exactly what, um, what you're kind of looking at? It feels like to the outsider here, there's some of that with Alabama as well. Obviously their receivers are off the charts in this class. They've got a bunch of linemen who are going to get picked. So what is it about Mac Jones that, has perhaps you or others thinking it he really has the goods and it's not just he was in an incredible circumstance and we can you know we, we, we can maybe look past some of that to recognize that this guy's really good yeah the more I watch Mac the more I like him um I just finished up some more tape yesterday on him and, and he played really well during the SEC season um but to watch what he did in the college football playoff he took his game to the next level and it is it's difficult sometimes with those guys that they're they're like Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. A lot of times they're lining up with such better people than they're going up against. And that's not the NFL, as you know. Um, but there is enough. When you look at his whole body of work, there's enough throws. You need to focus on certain throws. Um, you got to look at the under duress stuff. What he does under duress, what he, what he does when there are tight windows. Um, you know, the thing about Mac that really stands out, he's not the prototype that everyone in the league wants right now. He's not the runaround guy. He's not the guy that can you know, ad lib and create with his legs too much, but he is a guy that can win from the pocket. It's really funny. Like 
you get, I was in Russell, I was with Russell Wilson in Seattle and everyone talked about, well, Russ needs to learn how to win from the pocket, you know? So it's like people talk out of both sides of their mouth. If you've got a really athletic guy, well, he needs to learn how to win from the pocket. And then if you've got a guy that can really win from the pocket, you're, well, I wish he could extend plays and do this. Um, what Mac does is he's extremely intelligent, um, total gym rat, which is really hard to find these days. There was a couple nights during senior bowl week where we, our staff was closing up the formal interview process, which ended at 1130 every night. And Mac was over there at the convention center by himself in the quarterback room, watching tape with a notepad by himself at midnight. Um, so that speaks to who he is. Then you watch him go through the week here, his ability to just digest a playbook, spit out the verbiage, which none of these guys have to do in college anymore. And then know where he's going with the football and getting it out quick. Like he was head and shoulders above anyone we've had in the game over the last couple of years that I, since I've been, you know, with the senior bowl. Um, and then you put on the tape, he knows exactly where to go with it. He's very accurate. He makes great decisions. He's tough as nails. He's got an unbelievable feel in the pocket. Um, I think drawing the Tom Brady comparison is, is obviously hyperbole because of what Tom's done with his career, but he, Mac does have that same type of feel in terms of kind of eyes back in the back of his head quality where, you know, some guys, some guys that are even really good athletes don't feel the rush until it's right up on them. And then it's too late. Like Mac feel his, his, his internal clock and his sense for space around him is really hard to coach. Um, and he has all those things. So that's why I'm a big believer in Mac. Um, again, he's, and he hasn't played a lot of football. I think, you know, he's only started probably 15, 16, 17 college games. So there still is a ceiling there. I mean, there's still a ceiling in that this guy, that's the, why the college football playoff stuff was so great to see is he did take his game to the next level. There is still upside there because of his relative inexperience in the position. I know I need to let you go in a sec, but I, and a couple of names I want to get to, but just to follow back on that for a sec, you mentioned that he's done, uh, I'm not sure how you phrase it, but that he, you know, he did really well relative to other guys you've had in recent years. You had Justin Herbert there last year. Uh, Justin Herbert played a lot of college football, was more of a known commodity going into the season then obviously he forget what he did with chargers which is obviously really good but he was a, you know <laughs> the, the sixth pick in the draft how, how do you where they are right now jones and herbert two guys you had in back-to-back -back years like is there any comparison to to, to them not in terms of style but just how you kind of felt about you know, being excited about them yeah i mean i i was a huge herbert supporter obviously on record on espn last year breaking all that stuff down um Took some heat here in the state of Alabama because I, I liked Herbert more than Tua. But, um, yeah, I think Justin was one of the most misevaluated guys that's come out in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. He really was. Um, you know, to me, it was more about Justin's supporting cast, like we talked about with Mac and, you know, some of the Ohio State guys. I mean, Justin wasn't lining up with a bunch of NFL people. You know, he really wasn't. He had to do everything on his own, and I don't think the offense at Oregon really was, was well-suited for him. Um, whereas, you know, Physically, there's so much more to Justin Herbert than, than Mac Jones. You know, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's more athletic, he can run it. Um, he's a true dual threat. Whereas, and he's smart. That's the thing that was lost about Justin, how smart the guy is. And that's why he was able to pick it up without a training camp. Literally took the field this year as a starter in, on two minutes notice. So um, I think, just, I mean, Justin Herbert might go down as, you know, a perennial Pro Bowl guy. I mean, he could win MVPs. Um, I don't, I don't think Mac has that kind of physical talent, um, but what he has from the neck up and what he has instinctively and with the accuracy piece, um, he's going to be a winning NFL quarterback. 
Cool. Um, and you can uh, you can give me some quick hitters on this because, like I said, I know I got to get you out of here. You just said your Herbert may be a most misidentified, misevaluated player in some time. Is there anybody in this 2021 class you've come across that you're seeing something that the the scouting community isn't at this point? Um, gosh, off the top of my head, no, not not really. I mean, it's more like later guys that aren't being talked about as much. Sure. Um, you know, like a Felton, for instance, you know, guys like that, that aren't, you're not seeing at least publicly getting a lot of love that I think are going to be really good NFL players. Um, some offensive linemen in this year's class. I think uh, there's kind of the usual names that are being thrown out there on the offensive line. Um, you know, bigger program guys that I think were some of these small school guys like Dylan Radins from, from North Dakota state, Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa. I think those guys, you know, have a chance of being better pros than some of these guys we're all talking about right now. But um, in terms of like to where Justin was misevaluated, I don't think there's anyone in this class in that area. Uh, Richie Grant, the safety out of uh, Central Florida, was somebody who really had a big showing um, with you guys. Uh, free safety is a position Washington could you could you, could possibly use an upgrade on. Uh, what stood out to you about about him, and uh, what was the hype? I guess justified that now it sounds like he could be maybe even in the second round. Yeah, I mean, I think he could go in the late first round, honestly. Um, and Richie's been our highest graded safety going all the way back to last spring. So it didn't, it wasn't really any surprise. His card hasn't moved on the board for for like 11 months now. I think we started looking at Richie like last March. But um, he's a really cool player because he's interchangeable at safety. He can play free, he can play strong. He's got elements of both. And then he came down here and what he showed at the Senior Bowl that you didn't see a lot at UCF was man coverage skills. Um, I mean, he lined up a lot at corner out here and did a really good job. So um, he's a guy that will like a strong safety. He'll run alleys and he'll knock the crap out of you. And he's a really good space tackler. And then he's got such good eyes in the back end and anticipation um, and range back there. And then he can go get the football and make plays on the ball. And, and a lot of what's cool about Richie is when, when you watch him, he does it at really opportune times. He does it in clutch moments where his team really needs a play. Um, he goes and makes it. And now you added the man cover skills to it. Um, I think he's probably the most versatile DB in this year's draft. So, um, you know, I think second round is, is the floor for him. Um, and I think some team would be really smart to take him in the first because he can le legitimately help you at three positions. Is there any guy you just love? I, I, I remember last year I asked Jack Del Rio before training camp, like, or, or during the summer when we were all starting to get locked up, like, was there any player that you just like turned on the tape and you just found yourself watching over and over again to somebody you just, like regardless of where they are on the board or anything yeah Richie Grant was one of them uh, <laughs> but there there's you know there's some there's some really cool players in this draft Trey Sermon from Ohio State everyone's talking about Najee Harris and Travis Etienne and they should be because those two guys are awesome um, but I think a guy that's being overlooked a little bit is Trey Sermon um, you know when I went back and was started watching all the the fields tape I just found myself in that you know that last stretch of games when they actually got Sermon on the field God, he's so talented um, for a big back that can catch it and make people miss and run over you. Um, I'm a big Trey Sermon fan. So really, you just go kind of by position. There's kind of a favorite guy at every spot. Elijah Molden is another guy, a, a nickel from Washington, who we had committed to the game and couldn't come because of an injury. Um, if you just look at like pure corner cover skills, I think he's better at the nickel spot than any of the outside guys at, at, their, at their positions. You know, whether I, we spent all day yesterday looking at Patrick Sertain and J.C. Horn from from South Carolina. Um, God, there was a third one in that group in that mix, too. Um, 
But I just what Elijah Molden does in the slot, I think he's a better player at his position than those outside guys. So and those guys are all good players. Don't get me wrong. So Elijah Molden's another guy. You see what so what some of the nickels are doing in the league right now, making plays um, and turning the ball over. I think Molden's going to be that guy. I think he's going to be a really good NFL player. Caleb Farley is that the other one? That... Yeah, Caleb was the other guy. Yeah, Caleb. Those three we looked at yesterday. <laughs> gotcha. All um, and... all really good players, but but to me, Molden is just. Uh, a cut above for, for the position he plays. And, and just lastly, because everybody cares about quarterbacks above all, I guess there's a world where Washington doesn't do that much. They have Kyle Allen, they have Taylor Heineke and kind of maybe figure out if there's a young guy to draft. If they, if there's a day three guy, you had a bunch of them at the senior bowl, potential guys, Ian book from Notre Dame, Jamie Newman from Georgia, some other guys, maybe guys that you didn't have. Is there anybody that you kind of keep an eye on or you think maybe could be the, if you're going to you throw a dart at one of these younger, uh, deeper quarterbacks to, to, to keep an eye on. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say out of that group, I mean, Ian book is a really interesting guy to me. He's the first guy you mentioned. Um, there's a lot of love for Ian in the league right now. I mean, he's being talked about with, you know, there's that, that group of five that everyone's talking about up top. And then you got like Kyle Trask and Ian book. Um, Ian's a guy they love because as we talked about, Ian can move around. He's a really bouncy athlete. He can get out of the pocket. He can create. Um, he did a much better job making decisions and taking shots this year from outside the pocket. Um, and he's a winner and he's got great leadership. He's got great intangibles. Um, he's a guy that he it's, this is maybe a dated comparison, but he reminds me a little bit of Rich Gannon, um, sure. you know, in, in just his ability to, to get outside and make plays and high intangibles guys. So, I mean, I think some teams might see as Ian as a guy that you're going to draft to be a really good backup, kind of like Washington did years ago with Kirk Cousins. And he's a guy, you, to me, you have a chance of hitting on more than that with Ian Book. You might draft him to be a really good backup, but he might get on the field for you at some point and be like, well, we got, we got something a lot more than what we thought we were going to get, kind of like, like what Kirk has become um, in the league. Yeah, awesome. Hey, Jim, I so appreciate this. I know your world's about to get even busier now. You're about to uh, get going to the ESPN, so I really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll see you on all the various shows and, and whatnot, and obviously we can follow you on Twitter at Jim Nagy underscore SB. Uh, look forward to it, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you in person next year at the actual uh, Senior Bowl. Hopefully the world is back <laughs> to normalcy way before that, but hopefully certainly by then. Yeah, hope hope so. I love love coming back on. Thanks for having me back on. And and yeah, I'd love to uh, love to get you down to Mobile next year. Deal. I'm in. <laughs> All right. Um, as promised, joining us here is the man about time. The man about town. I, I've had the discussion lately with somebody about if you were going to say who is the voice of DC sports. I don't really know who the answer is, but this guest is like gonna be mentioned at minimum he's i hope i assume he's too humble to say whether he is or isn't but he'll at least be mentioned right now that would be grant paulson mr uh 106.7 the fan himself did you have an answer for that if you take yourself out of the equation who is the voice of dc sports these days like back in the day like you might have said like kornheiser or somebody or or maybe uh i don't know i don't know if there was like a, a radio person i mean like ken beatrice 100 years ago but like even then, probably not him. I don't know. Is there I mean, George Michael would have been somebody back in the day? Is there is there an answer for that question? Now it's so cross-platformed, and and there's probably like so many personalities. I'm not sure if any one person stands out. That's nice of you to say that. I wouldn't put myself in that category, but uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, nobody like jumps out at me. There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of people that's specific to their beats and their expertise right. that I would mention. 
But in terms of like a Mr. or Mrs. DC sports, nobody really stands out, which means uh, we all got to keep hustling, I guess, because we're not there yet. Right. Right. It's a weird dynamic. The, the T, you know, TV is not what it used to be. Washington post columnist is not that person. You definitely have to get, no, I mean, they're all fine, but nobody you like definitely have to get to. And um, yeah. And then everybody else is more isolated within their own sport. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, when in doubt to say Chris Russell, and you're probably right. So we'll just go with that. That's my guy. I could throw Slashy out there as a nomination. <laughs> and I think, we, you know, we're in a really good spot with columnists who write good, smart things. Um, like Barry's for Lugo, you know, whether it's the Caps, the Nats, the Wiz, he just wrote about their ripping off seven out of their last eight going into their Sunday game with Boston. I mean, when he reads something, I think it's smart, and I normally learn. Um, so there are a lot of people, that, like I said, in that conversation, but I think a lot of it, Ben, honestly, I mean, if you really want to wax poetic, like, do we have an Edward R. Murrow anymore? You know, do we have a, um, a you know, a, a person who in a big moment news wise that the whole country turns to? I don't think we have that either. I just think times have changed so much that I don't know if like the, we're ever going to have that again, where there's a Walter Cronkite that everyone sits around in the living room and, and, and comes to in a big moment. Not to say that, you know, no one could ever take over the D.C. sports landscape, but I just think things are kind of different. And, um, you know, nowadays, more so than than coming to your TV screen for like a Cronkite or a Murrow, and these people are uh, like above the norm and they're celebrities. Like now the, it's almost like you want to be the everyman. Like your media people are often like people you want to sit there and have a beer with. There is no like separation of of like this elevation of, of credentials of a broadcaster. So it's kind of interesting in that way. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely right about the national news story. And I guess I always want like, like say like in New York, like Mike and the mad dog maybe was the answer at one point for New York, but like, that's not the case anymore. And I don't know if I don't, I got it. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe just in every city they're lacking that. I just, it just feels like, like in Miami, Dan Lebitard, I would imagine is clearly that guy. Right you know that that's all i'm saying like it, it, we, we don't maybe have that totally. per, we don't have that person right now but all right we'll see well and by the way um you mentioned barry's reluga he was my last guest before you so i'm i'm i'm, I'm maybe i'm just maybe i'm like uh, uh, uh campaign or auditioning everybody to see who really is the yeah, voice I, I hope i stack up all right that is that's the dream ultimately right is is to become that person so let's let's uh let's keep grinding toward that all right deal all right so um, I, I reached out to Grant today. I gave him all kinds of notice <laughs> and I said, Hey, uh, I got a column coming out of that column. The athletic has me, uh, has us coming up with some like off season stories, kind of a couple things they asked us to do. One, one idea that I went with was come up with a 10 point plan for the football team. What are the things that you think they need to do this off season? And the truth is there's a lot of things to do. It, uh, 10 it's that can be big that can be small that can be whatever they want so by the time you hear this this article will be likely up on the athletic so you can check that out but i thought all right let me go let me go through a couple myself but then i'll ask grant to give me some of his so we're going to do three each go back and forth and we'll we'll put the quarterback off to the separate just to the side i think we both understand they kind of have to get a quarterback so we'll, we'll couch that as like a separate topic and we'll kind of go from there are you um are you ready to go, sir? And would you like to go first as the guest? Uh, that is quite sweet of you. Do you want me to go three 
first or are we starting with like the top of my priority list if you if you rank them uh in that way because i just sort of have like i pulled out three of my 10 yeah, just I've to got not... a ranking one two and three all right well why don't, yeah why don't you tease us why don't you go number three and uh we'll go from there okay i think this has been a little bit underrated in the grand conversation of the football team this offseason I want to uh, make sure that they shore up and address the cornerback position, specifically if Ronald Darby is not re-signed. Uh, I, would, I would say re-signing him to me would be pertinent. I don't think he's going to break the bank. I thought he played at a high level. He came home to this area and, and shined, and I liked how he performed, and I thought uh, after some down seasons, largely based on injuries in Philadelphia, uh, he was what he was expected to be when he was drafted a couple rounds into the draft years ago. So I would re-sign Darby if for some reason that doesn't happen. And I had him on my show recently on Grant and Danny on the fan. And he did say that he wanted to be here and he wants to re-sign. If for some reason they can't re-sign him, then cornerback becomes a, a significant priority for me in free agency. But you cannot go into the year downgrading in that position. I think you're okay with Fuller and Darby. Uh, and, you know, the development that you had from Jimmy Moreland, but you can't go any worse off with your personnel there. So I would say re-sign Darby and don't forget about corner at a time where throwing the football has become easier than it's ever been before. Yeah, cornerback made my 10 list uh, for sure. And I think what you laid out is is, is right. I, I want to say that I think it was Spotrack had project, I think, four years, 36 million. Obviously, the guaranteed is the money is the real story and i don't think they actually included that in their projections but i don't know you can probably guess half of that uh, you know if, if that's a real number 20 maybe yeah yeah th this is not a great year for cornerbacks uh I, in our uh the athletics top 50 list that uh shiel capadia uh, put out uh top 50 free agents i know i think the first corner was like 24 uh, and there were like five on the list total but like three of the five were like in the like 45 to 50 range and then darby kind of was in the other also considered category um so yeah without question if, if he is gone you absolutely have to bring in somebody else they did uh, they were they did a good job identifying him last year obviously he's a guy the issue was could he stay healthy he could not uh until this year he played all 16 games that was a big deal whether you know i don't know if that's something the training staff did or just good got, got lucky this year or maybe he was unlucky in the past whatever it was he was, I think, arguably their most consistent corner. So I think keeping him is uh, maybe Paramount's a bit strong, but keeping him would be would be would be key for sure. Um, I, I forgot to ask you this off the top, though, just to circle back, and uh, this is a, we're a bad hosting, I guess, to go into this to to state whatever the things are that you think they need to do. I think partly to under is to understand well what is actual what do you how does one view the team? One could view this team as the, they they were hot at the end of the year seven and nine, but they're seven and nine going on 11 and five, go all in, spend money big, make big moves, or it could be seven and nine, but it's a young team. They're still building with the quarterback question. And maybe they got a little bit lucky at the end of the year with the way things kind of broke with some of the other teams they were facing. Maybe that seven and nine is not for real. So rather than like pushing all chips in, let's maybe go slow, you know, kind of do a little bit, maybe what you did last year, maybe, maybe get some younger guys to go with it and then kind of go from there. So what, where, where are you kind of in that broad outlook of how you view this team as you're discussing these moves? More the second of the examples you gave than the first, I think seven and nine was about what they should have been last year. And obviously generally that's, you know, three games or so out of the playoffs, it was, 
not uh, normal for them to make the postseason, and I think they got lucky to have done so. It's a great thing that they did, and they will benefit from it immensely moving forward uh, with their young guys having gotten to, to play in some vital December games and in the postseason. I think that's invaluable. Having said that, uh, I think their schedule's brutal. I don't really do the go through and pick wins and losses thing when it comes out. I think that's foolish because you don't know if you know the quarterback's going to be out or what the injury situation will be with a certain team when you play them. Having said that, you get a first-place schedule now, and you're not really a first-place caliber club coming out of last season. Right. So that does not go well or bode well generally. You know, If there is a 17th game, which I'm anticipating <clears throat> there will be, they'll get the Buffalo Bills. They're going to play, if that's the case, all four of the final four teams in the conference championship. So they're leveling up a weight class for that reason, I don't think. I would expect them to make the playoffs again. The division is not going to be great. I don't know that any team will separate itself, so that'll keep them in the hunt potentially around 500. But I think it's going to be a lot harder to get to seven or eight wins this coming year than it was last year. Having said all that, for the purposes of this conversation, they've got money to spend, and I'm a proponent of spending the money. I hate when teams go cheap. I hate when they don't use their salary cap space, particularly when you're saving it. What are you saving it for if you're not going to use it? So I want them to spend. I want them to be aggressive. I want them to add talent. I'm not one of these guys that's afraid of free agency because Dan Snyder was batted at 20 years ago. I think that's an over-talked about kind of tired conversation about this team. So spend your money, get better, go get good pieces and bring them in here and, and find fits that can help you improve. I want them to be more aggressive than they were last year when they had an unbelievable offseason kind of in the bargain bin. Uh, but I'm, I'm willing to spend a little more than that this time around. And of course, the one thing that's interesting this year, because of the down salary cap, because the revenue is down, because of the pandemic, we still don't quite know what the final number is going to be. The minimum is about 180 million. We don't know what the actual number is going to be. And that is adding some confusion right now as teams and agents and players are trying to figure out what's going to happen. But because of that, they have have the six most cap space. We're at 38 million. And because of that, because a lot of teams are like, have have issues there'll still be more guys who are going to get cut they should be able to get some bargains out of the deal and the question is are there bargains on the one year give somebody some good money but not as much money as you would have to give to normally and not not have to tie up a longer deal with this person to kind of maybe kind of go for it because the players may be like hey you know what if i sign a four-year deal now now not the elite guys like your brand insurance but like there are other guys who might say hey i signed a four-year deal now i'm probably gonna get less if i have wait a year if I, if I take the one-year deal now wait a year then when the cap goes up I got a better shot to get a bigger deal that's a calculus that they're gonna have to pay on the other side when you get past the elite level there may be people who said hey I definitely still want to take the multi-year deal but instead of this person whoever it may be getting four years for 40 million maybe in this economy it's four years for 30 million I'm, I'm making this up so I think that's where Washington if they're aggressive can find value because of just the way the circumstances broke this year also yeah I totally agree with that Uh, you know I'm leery about and would do everything I can to avoid like the one-year acquisition that you're talking about only because I don't view them as a championship caliber team now if you think it's going to swing the pendulum to you being particularly competitive you know again there is inherent value in just playing big games in December and making the postseason even if you can't actually go on a deep run so at the it's it's not a bad thing necessarily if you can only get a one-year deal done with a couple of guys and you improve yourself but they're basically you know you're the jv so to speak where they're trying out for the big contract elsewhere or here next year it's not the end of the world 
I would try to avoid that. You know, I, I think my plan for Ron Rivera, it, it would have involved them already having solved quarterback and, and doing something earlier this offseason. They made a valiant effort for Stafford, uh, being a little bit more aggressive perhaps before uh, the timeline ran out to, to get Stafford or a QB. Having said that, though, uh, Ben, you know, for me, I, I'm on like a three-year plan to, to be that 10-11 win type team. And I say 11, which they haven't done in my entire life, uh, literally. But, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I, I think they could get there, not maybe this season, but the year after. So anything I'm doing, I'm signing three, four-year deals to, to get guys here for the next couple seasons to be a part of that if I can. Um, all right. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm definitely they're, they're not, I agree. They're not in the one-year mode. But if something works out. But I get what you're saying. Guys want to get away from COVID. They want to get away from the $180 million cap. So their agents are going to be advising them a lot of the time. Hey, let's just let's go play for a year, bet on ourselves, and let's get more next offseason. I I think that's going to be a regular thing that you see from agents and players. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that, that that'll be the interesting thing to see how that all uh, all shakes out. All right, let me go with my uh, the first one off of my list. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not doing this in in order. I just pulled three things out of the ten that I kind of threw out there on the article up on the Athletic. Uh, I, I hear people talk about cut Landon Collins that that's not conceivable it's not realistic on any level he it would actually cost them more money on the cap to cut him than to just keep him um so that's not going to happen not to mention it would be 18.8 million towards the cap to release him I mean there's no there's no reason to got Cam Curl had a really good year obviously and maybe there's an argument to say we people would like to see him in the lineup because Collins was kind of not, was not having the greatest of years and he's now coming off an Achilles injury. So we'll have to see Um, the way medical science works these days. I'm just going to assume he'll be ready by week one. Who who knows? I mean, because Achilles injury is a big deal, but you know, and he's a football player, but like, you know, John Wall, Kevin Durant have made comebacks and, you know, (laughs) different sport, but you know, Achilles injury as well. So I'm just going to go with the assumption that Landon Collins is able to go. Can't cut him, but here's what I do wonder. And I'm curious what you think. What if you go to him and say, look, we want you to take a pay cut because here's the reality of the situation. We could cut you after June 1st and the June 1st cut, well, the, the money will balance out a little bit. Well, some of that money that I said that 18.8 million, roughly, don't quote me here, but roughly half will, would ultimately count towards this year's cap and the other half, a little bit more, I think would go towards uh, the, 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 the future year. And for Washington's perspective, maybe that's reasonable, but the money they can't use the money on that cap until they make the cut so the free agency is more or less over at that point and Landon Collins would be like out on the street uh, way after free agency and nobody's going to give him anything close to an offer at this point you would think that would come close to what he was making this year he's got five million guaranteed but ultimately um, he's gonna he would make 13 million this year which is like 12 and a half million salary plus a half million dollar roster bonus so Go to Landon Collins and say, here's what we'll do. We want to keep you. You're a good player, locker room leader, all that stuff. But instead of 13 million, we want to drop you to 9 million. That's still more than you're going to make. It lowers the, the cap hit as well. Um, Olivier Vernon, the Browns agreed something similar uh, to this a year ago. And by the way, maybe within that, you still say, hey, by the way, we'll give you some incentives in this deal. Maybe, you know, if you play X amount of games or tackles or whatever the thing may be, maybe there's some incentives in there to get you some of that back. So that's my thought. Ask Landon Collins to take a pay cut. What do you think of that? I'm all for asking him to take a pay cut the way these two years have gone. 
I don't know that he would accept it. I wouldn't accept it if I was him. I mean, you signed the contract. I signed the contract. Um, and his agent is one of the more powerful agents in football. David Mulligetta, I think, did that contract from uh, Athletes First, who represents Deshaun Watson, who represents uh, several of the guys that are kind of redefining now the relationship between team and player. And and I think Mulligetta and uh, his players are thinking big picture about like the power of, of players and the relationship that they have with, um, you know, the, the future of the, the sport and future players. So I, I guess Landon Collins would potentially be up for it, but I, I, I think that's a, a stretch. And what are you giving him in other words? I mean, if he's just taking a pay cut, he'll just call your bluff, I think, and say, really, you're going to cut me and cost yourself 18 million in dead money for me not to play. But if he wait, like I said, if they wait till June 1st, then instead of 18 million hitting this year, the money spread but out over it's spread out over more years. Right. Still, but, right. But, but, but you're also pay. you're not having to pay out your, he's only guaranteed 5 million in actual salary. So he right. would get 5 million. They would save themselves 8 million more or less. Um, in cash this year don't i always say when it comes to salary cap stuff don't quote me but this is what i yeah, what, yeah, I, yeah. what i what i was looking up or written but I, I guess my point is twofold number one he has not been what they were hoping but he is he's not a liability like he, he at times has struggled but it he's not like 18 million dollars worth of a problem i i think people are really excited about cam curl i am too let's kind of wait and see what happens here um like i'll say i want i'd want him to stay and if ultimately i couldn't work that out yeah. yeah, you are probably calling my bluff. I'm not. I mean, and again, part of this is we don't know where he's at physically or when when the realistic right. timeline is. So I'm assuming he'll be ready by week one, but that could be a massive assumption. So I wouldn't imagine that the end result would be they would do that and then say we cut him. I'm just saying, you know, you, you never know. You never know how free agency unfolds or or the draft for that matter. And if they find themselves in a position where. I don't know. They they get they do get a good bar, a value in free agency or some safety is there in day two that they like, and now all of a sudden you have this guy plus Cam Curl, DeShazer ever comes back. You know, not saying you don't miss Landon Collins. Oh, listen but, here. I mean, I think it's a great idea, and the team should absolutely explore it. And I I would love it to happen. I mean, I think it'd be great for the club. I I'm just trying to think of you know someone proposes a trade on the radio or whatever, and two teams have to agree to it, right? I'm 100%. I'm trying to think from Landon Collins' perspective what's he and his agent going to think and it's a pride thing 100 percent. i mean when, when, when this idea was sort of first mentioned to me um like or sort of came up i was like boy he's not going to agree to this guys don't take pay cuts but then yeah. i was like well look olivier vernon did and the reality is if he gets cut he gets five million but he you know what else is he going to get i guess hypothetically could some team give him a one-year, $4 million deal that gets him back up to the $9 million that Washington in this hypothetical was, was, was offering? Sure, but now you're going somewhere else and, you know, all that stuff, so. No, makes sense. I, they should absolutely make an attempt to do that. All right. Um, I, I, when, 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 the, when the possible voice of D.C. Sports doesn't shoot down my idea, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take uh. it. Um, all right, we're here with uh, Grant Paulson, of course, uh, half of the Grant and Danny uh, uh, PM drive time show on 106.7 The Fan at Grant H. Paulson on Twitter. We are up to Grant's second thought on what he would do for what he would have the Washington football team do this offseason. First up, he said, get a corner. If not, if it's not Ronald Darby, then somebody, what do you got for number two? 
Uh, I'm upgrading the inside linebacker position, kind of working my way in importance. I think this is the second biggest priority for me uh, this season. I, I say inside linebacker, kind of more thinking from the traditional 34. Obviously, they're a base 43 now that, you know, they don't, they're not in base all that often. But I'm looking at the, the, the linebacker position. Could be a weak side guy. Um, what I'm looking for is you know, someone who can make plays at the second level. I want somebody with speed who can run. Uh, I want someone who's strong against the run, who can, you know, get people to the ground. This tremendous defensive front uh, is not taken advantage of a lot of weeks by the the linebacking group. And I think there are moments where I really like what I see from Cole Holcomb. I, I think John Bostic has had some really good games and some really good moments here. I think those guys are NFL contributors and good players and should be on this roster. Uh, however, what I'm looking for is a baller. You know, I, I want, you're not going to get a Luke Keekley type necessarily for Ron Rivera, who's a, a future hall of famer, but a Roquan Smith, you know, someone who is a next level upper echelon player so that you've, the idea to me is to have one of those guys at every level ultimately. And you, you've got that guy on the front with Chase Young. You could add that guy on the second level. The question is, how do you do it? I don't think Levante David will be available. I think he probably re-signs with the world champion Bucks, but he is an example of what I'm talking about. You spend big in free agency, the 12 million a year, something like that. Bring him in at, at three years and 39 million or, or something around there. Probably um, I'll, I'll give you another name. I know you're a big draft guy. I'm a big fan of Jeremiah Owosu uh, Koromoa from Notre Dame. Um, I, I think at 19, you know, he interests me. He intrigues me. Now, it depends on what they do in free agency, what their holes are at that point. But if they haven't upgraded the linebacking spot and they're on the clock at number 19, then Awusu Koromoa would really interest me. But linebacker is a, it's not a want, it's a need to me. Like this defense was very good at times, it was very solid most of the year, it ranked second in a lot of categories. But I think most of us know that there's an authenticity to that number two that that lacks sometimes where they could be had on the ground where, you know, they, they needed a big play maybe and they didn't come up with it all the time. And they were strong. They were an, a big piece to the puzzle of this team getting to the playoffs. But if you want to take the next step, and I do, and if you want to win a lot of games 17-13, and I think they're going to have to with their quarterback situation, you're going to have to get better at linebackers. So that is number two on my list. Uh, my – Last mock draft, uh, the the uh, oh, no, no, we did a uh, athletic mock draft like all the beat writers, and with the 19th pick, I selected Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. Love it for Washington. Um, That's my guy. I'm telling he people that don't know him now. I you may have done a little more digging on him. I've watched him a lot now because I had a, someone tipped me off on him a, a couple weeks ago. But here's what's interesting. So he's I think he's about six two two ten. He, he's, he played a little rover for Notre Dame, as they called it. Don't think like Sua Craven's down Buchanan, right? I mean, he is an actual linebacker. He's a natural linebacker. I think he's a weak side guy, but they line him up in the slot. He runs a lot with backs and tight ends, which I found intriguing. I don't know what kind of 40 time he would run. That's my one question is in terms of actual just foot speed and things. I don't know what you could tell me there, but he's got the size when you, I won't use the term on tape. I don't watch tape. I watched, you know, clips of his games on YouTube, basically. But when you watch him, no one runs away from him at the collegiate level, these guys that he's running with. So 
And he just makes so many damn plays. I mean, anybody who watched Notre Dame, and they're one of the teams I watch the most every year because I'm a Mike Tarico Mark, and I'm a play-by-play nerd, and, and I <laughs> love that broadcast. Uh, Tarico and Dungy do a hell of a job. So I watch a lot of their games just to watch the broadcast, frankly, on NBC. And, uh, God, he just – you know, he's taking balls away from running backs like Travis Etienne um, out of their hands. He's he's swooping in like Sean Taylor on the on the move, picking up balls and running his uh, punch fumbles all over the place. He is a playmaker, dude. So if you're if you had him going to Washington, that's a mock that I could get behind. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, I mean, I the, 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 if I had if there was some criticism in it from Twitter people or comments, actually, it was more along the lines of you mentioned the rover thing like uh you know, he's not like a bigger linebacker. They already have, we've mentioned Landon Collins. You've got Cam Curl, who was playing sort of the big nickel role last year. So if if, if he's that guy, which you're not saying he is, but that was, I think, for some people, like, well, it feels like that's one position Washington already sort of has a lot of. I'm just looking at it as he's got speed and they've got to add, uh, you know, they need that. They need more of that in the middle. I mean, half the reason John Bostic is still out there as much as he is is one they don't have a lot of other options but two he's he's got some speed still um but call holcomb as well so this is like that and then some and that's why it makes sense now maybe he isn't ultimately in a, an ideal position fit but in you know i agree linebacker to me and it was all also on my list it's not like you said it perfectly it's not a want it's a need big time you can't just have these you know these defensive linemen up front and then be like, okay, well, we're good. What else are you going to behind you? If if John Bostic is leading the team again and snaps and playing and starting 16 games, I, I think that's a problem. I'm not saying he's not doesn't have a spot on the roster. I'm just saying that he cannot be relied upon to do that much. So they got to figure out some more help. And by the way, Kevin Pierre Lewis is a free agent. Other than Holcomb and Bostic, they don't really have any much else beyond that at this point that we can. Yeah, but prove. they've also been, and you know this better than I do. I mean, they've piecemealed is too strong. But they've just kind of thrown jag linebackers at the position for a while. Right. No disrespect to these guys. Kevin Pierre Lewis had some big time plays. I mean, Mason up. Foster was a guy they picked up off the street. Will totally. Compton was an undrafted Foster free agent. Years, leading the team in tackles. And Sean right. Deion Hamilton was a late round pick. And uh Martrell Spate, same thing. I mean, they've had these like names and these guys. They have not even Holcomb, what we like, was a fifth round pick, right? I mean, they have not really made a concerted effort to address the position since spending maybe on London Fletcher and free agency. I mean, they, they spent good money on him coming over from Buffalo. That might be the last time it's been a lot of fourth round pick, Harry Riley, fifth round pick, you know, uh, you know, sixth round pick SDH or the, you know, those types of spate Holcomb types. And I think Holcomb for the record at times last year was their best linebacker. Again, NFL player. He's a contributor. He's a keeper. John Bostic. I like his speed. I like how he runs. There's things he does that helps, but you, what you said was perfect your ceiling is much lower than what it could be if your best linebacker is Bostic or if, if you are building around those guys rather than having them as the supplemental pieces that maybe they should be at that position. And we mentioned the Notre Dame kid at 19. There's other running back, uh, other linebackers. If you look at the mock drafts in that 19 to 32 range, Nick Bolton from Missouri is another one. Uh, so there's a, there's a handful of guys in that space. So it doesn't have to be, him but and obviously you could also address this in free agency you mentioned um levante david probably i I think you're probably right seems unlikely he would leave but you know we'll see what tampa does with all their with all their here's my question about them you you talk to people all over the league i keep hearing that they're keeping everybody i don't think that's possible like i was talking to someone one of the national guys on the show on, on grant and danny on the fan this week 
and I'm trying to remember who, which one it was. We had Peter King and Florio and all the, you know, the big names. And you don't have of, that many guests. You should be able to remember. What's that? You don't have that many guests on your show. You should be able to remember. Very true. You would think, but the <laughs> NFL national guys, man, they all blend together, but I'm trying to think. So whoever it was, their point was, well, I said, what about Levante David? Okay. What about, um, Shaq Barrett? What about Chris Godwin? And they're like, Oh, he's staying, he's staying, he's staying. It's like, do they have enough money to keep all of those guys? I mean, do you really think that's going to happen? Everyone keeps saying, well, they'll tag Godwin and they'll keep David and they'll keep Barrett. Gronkowski also is a free agent, right? Who? Rob Gronkowski. Isn't he also a free agent? He he is. I'd imagine he'd stay for a granola bar so he can hang out with Brady, but (laughs) I'm not sure. Yeah. No, no, I'm with you. It's, It's, I haven't paid enough attention to what sort of is happening everywhere else, but you're right. Every time a Tampa Bay player gets mentioned, it's just the assumption is why basically why would they leave Tom Brady, no state taxes in Tampa to go in and, and, you know, coming off the Super Bowl to go anywhere else. Uh, I I get, I get all that, but ultimately at the end of the day, somebody's going to want to get paid. I would also say, keep an eye on Matt Milano up with the bills. Um, It was reported a a week or so ago that he's going to, basically have a chance to test for agency that the bills are not going to be able to do too much with them. And I was kind of told the same thing. And while he doesn't have the Carolina ties, he is coming from Buffalo where Brandon Bean's been running the show and Brandon Bean is very tight with Ron Rivera and Marty Herney. So they're going to get Kermit head coach. There was Ron's DC, by the way, he's a good football player. I've not heard that name. But you got me a little steamed up. That's it. That I mean, he he didn't play. He missed a bunch of games last year because of injuries. But we'll put assuming that's okay. I mean, it's going to cost. Like I think Spo, Spo tracks projecting like 13, 14 million annually. So if they decide to go big at that spot, and look, let's also remember Rivera during the season was that was a position he was calling out. And we know that Rivera likes to fall back on what he's had in the past. And in the past at Carolina, he had Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis at a higher level than the one we just saw. And he knows he didn't have, he doesn't have that here. So it was, yeah, and, st- and you have money. So you, you know, you're gonna, if you're going to spend at a position, it should either be what I'm about to get to eventually as my number one need, or, you know, again, this is to me the, the second biggest thing they got to figure out. So they shouldn't be afraid to spend 13 or 14 million at that position. They really shouldn't. It's, it is a vital spot for this defense to take the next step and it is a step they will have to take against their schedule if they're going to win, because it looks as though they will not be dramatically upgrading at quarterback. And and just the last thing on this, Levante David is an older player. That doesn't work as well for, for what you and I are kind of both agreeing on, that they're not really ready to go right now. Milano is 26, so that would make more sense. Even if you're not, quote-unquote, going for it this year, you have you signed a multi-year deal, then he'll be around for, for, more, than a, for more than a minute. Um, all right, this, the second thing on my list here, um, we're talking, it's just about spending money, but this is about spending it on your own guys. Uh, Ron Rivera, I want to say he was on with JP and B Mitch on their show on 1067 The Fan right after Rivera and Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew spoke to all of us. It was either that day or the next day. And he said, he may have said this to us as well, I don't remember, but he, he basically said, We'll take a swing if we think it's appropriate and for agency, but we also, our biggest priority after getting quarterback solved is making sure we retain our own people and that can mean a lot of different things it can mean brandon scherf obviously could mean ryan kerrigan although i doubt that but it can also mean guys who are still under contract and extending them and i think an obvious guy for me is jonathan allen and that's where he 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 makes my list and he's in the story because now he could play this year on the fifth year option and you're good he's going to make 10 million dollars 
he would be then a free agent after that. I think it's kind of important to lock Jonathan Allen up for a couple of reasons. One, he was really good last year, probably his best all around season. The sack numbers were down, but overall he was really, really good. Now, of course we, we get it. They've got a lot of defensive linemen. If they were to even just let him go this minute, I don't think anybody's going, wow, what a terrible disaster. You got my, my Ioannidis coming back Tim settle plus all the other guys. The thing though is, Realistically, you can't keep all four of these first-round pick defensive linemen. It's not its not conceivable. You can't give them all extensions. Chase Young, you're going to keep, but he's the last one. So the next three coming up, you realistically have, gonna, you have to get rid of one of them at some point. Because Allen is the first one, if you sign him, then you have more wiggle room with the next two. Maybe it's whether it's a trade, like if you go crazy with Deshaun Watson or something else. But whatever it is, it gives you more wiggle room. And I think they're going to – I think, therefore – you keep Jonathan Allen. And since they have money right now to spend, if you can figure something out, uh, my guess, my sense of this is that it wouldn't be now. It would maybe be into free agency after the draft, perhaps even, but I think I would look to Jonathan Allen to extend him um, this year. Yeah. I believe that they will extend him whether or not it's this off season. I'm not sure. Obviously it would probably make sense and need to be, by the way, I didn't even mention all the culture stuff. He's obviously a really good locker yeah. room guy. Was their Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee? Ron Rivera is a big fan. All that, you know. And when you're losing Ryan Kerrigan, most likely, he's a guy you can then point to, especially on the defense, and say, "Hey, well, this is the guy who's going to help carry, you know, what what kind of a legacy about being a leader that Ryan Kerrigan left behind." Yeah, I talked to somebody around the club about this uh, several weeks back, and it was actually still during the season, as I think about it. And my my point in asking was okay, how are they going to sort this out? You know, and it was before Allen really solidified himself, I thought this year as their best defensive lineman in terms of consistency, start to finish on the interior. And their point was he's not going anywhere. You know, Dan Snyder is a big Jonathan Allen guy and that matters. I mean, you know, this Dan has favorites and he's got guys that he likes. And when you are one of the players that he really likes, that means something. So I was told you can bet on him staying and everyone I've talked to in the building basically says he ain't going anywhere, not only because he's good, but again, because Dan Snyder is going to put a flag in the ground and say, this player is here. He's ours. And he's going to be Mr. Washington football on the D line. So it's going to happen whether it happens this off season or not. I'm not sure what I'd originally heard is they, they came to them with a huge number and, and Washington just wasn't close. And we'll see how, they can negotiate that down. I mean, at his position, like you're going, you're talking about potentially extending a player upwards of $17 million a year is I'm sure what the player and his agent would want. I would want that number down closer to, to 14 or 15. And maybe they meet in the middle. Uh, having said all that, I love that because you don't hear people talk about it a lot. These are the types of things you have to do in advance. And, and frankly, I just think he has shown more ability to rush the passer. I know Deron Payne had the two sacks against the bucks in the playoffs. Um, he's a good football player. There are times where he takes over drives. He takes over quarters. He's awesome. I would want him here, but you can't keep all of these guys. And if I think Allen's staying and we know they're going to want to pay Chase Young very likely and Montez Sweat, who's a pass rusher, theoretically is going to get paid. Ioannidis already has a contract. I mean, who's the odd man out? So I'm with you on Allen. I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, and, and along those lines, by the way, I mean, I don't know where you're at on Brandon Scherf, but they clearly want to make sure that Scherf doesn't go anywhere. I mean, if I throw this at you, if I say five years and 75 million for Scherf guarantees, you know, let's split it 
down the middle of, of 35 to 40 or something like that. Are, are you doing that? Are you willing to go there with Scherf and pay a guard 15 mil a year? And does that get it done from his side of things? I think the five year, I mean, obviously how they structure these contracts, you know, it doesn't really, we, we, we get the years and then money is not really accurate, but like five years to me seems a bit aggressive based on his injury history. And, um, you know, he'll be in his thirties at that point. I, I, I mean, again, on my list of things, and I wrote about this the other day is get this done. You're not paying right now a premium money at quarterback, not at left tackle. Uh, you know, th- those are positions where you're typically you're spending uh, a, a lot you're not right now so you can kind of justify keeping your best offensive lineman my my thing that i wrote the other day was this idea of giving him the tag is bonkers just get come up with your best offer make it and go there if you give him the tag he's going to sign it he's going to take the one year and then you're screwed because then he's either i mean the odds at that point of negotiating a longer deal i don't think make as much sense if you make your best offer up front more or less he's going to take it or he's not and then if you give him the tag he signs that, and then if that's what he's playing on, he's out of here. He's not coming back. And now at the point where, like you and I are saying, next year isn't the year. It's after that. Now he's not around anymore. So I would just come he's hard. He's also going to negotiate off the tag. I mean, the ghosts of the Kirk Cousins coming back here as we're having this conversation. But when you tag a guy, they now start their negotiation there. That's why we're talking about $15 million a year for him right now. Right. If you tag him and it's 18, now you're talking about that number going up. I think the tag is outrageous. I mean, it's it, it would be irresponsible in my opinion, not not just because he's a guard. I mean, I think our you know we, we've moved the goalposts on the position a little bit, and people understand they get paid now in a way that they didn't used to. It's important to have him. He's your first first team All Pro since a punter in 1996. He means something in the locker room, and he, he means something to the culture. And most importantly. He is arguably your best football player in the sense that he was the only guy on the team in the last quarter century who has been voted the the top player at his position in football. Having said all of that, you can't go year to year with him at a time where you're not a championship level team. It doesn't make sense. Tagging him this year, kiss him goodbye in the off season next year. And what did you get out of him? It's the same thing you did with cousins who, I mean, to this day, Jay Gruden went on his tour, media tour. We talked to you and he talked to me. One of the things he said was is one of his biggest regrets is they didn't trade a, a guy they tagged multiple times for more. They got a third-round pick for – look at the market. I mean, that, that's absurd what they got for him. People don't bring that up. They don't talk about it. No one cares about it. It should it should keep people up at night that that's all they got. And, and Scherf, I think, would be just a similar situation. So when I heard that, I was annoyed and I was mad, but – I guess they'll consider it. They, they shouldn't, in my opinion. You tagged him once, either get a deal done, or he walks, as far as I'm concerned. Right. And the only way I would tag him would be with the premise of I'm then trading him. I'm not tagging him to then he's going to play, because uh, for all the reasons we just said, that wouldn't work. Uh, just quickly, uh, yes or no on this, is Brandon Sheriff on the team next year, one way or the other? Yes, I think they get an extension done. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, last deal. one. Uh, I'm optimistic they get one done. Um, You know, I wonder if some team that's closer to Iowa gets involved, if he's willing to, uh, you know, take a little bit less. But the Barnstormers? (laughs) Look, anything's possible. The Jacksonville Jaguars are a team, right? So why not the, uh, why not that? Um, All right. uh, Let's get to your, your number one uh, 
want, need, desire for the Washington football team this offseason, Grand Paul. So what do you got? Yeah, I'm very creative, and I'm going to go way outside the box here. Uh, it's wide receiver. I think they need a weapon at wide receiver. Uh, people will tell you, well, they didn't get the quarterback, so you still you know, only have Heineke or Allen potentially or somebody like them. So why, why spend all the money on wide receiver now? And that's precisely why I think you need to do that. They need more weapons. They need to help these mediocre quarterbacks elevate their performance they need to make these guys better with the personnel around them and this is a terrific wide receiver class led by Allen robinson who's my dream scenario i think it's going to cost close to 20 million dollars a year to bring him in they tried to bring in amari cooper at that rate last year i think Allen robinson's a better wide receiver than amari cooper who's played with worse quarterbacks i'd love how he would fit into this offense as far as running a lot of the crossers and the things at the line of scrimmage, some of the, the stuff in the middle of the field, the digs, let Terry McLaurin be a little bit more of a deep threat, more of a traditional X who gets down the field. I think that that would open their offense up a lot. I think it would be great for all the guys in the passing game who've already been here. Uh, if it's not Allen Robinson, then go down the list. Is Chris Godwin tagged or he isn't? Make an offer. Is Kenny Galladay tagged or he isn't? Make an offer. Uh, th that's the, the big three, so to speak, but there's other tiers. I really like Corey Davis who broke out last year with the Titans at the end of his rookie deal and looked like uh, the top 10 pick that he was drafted to be. I really love the game in this offense of Curtis Samuel. Now he's not going to cost anything like what those other guys will, but you either need to go big swing for the fences, get an elite wide receiver, pay close to 20 million to do it. Or I would get two wide receivers in that 10 to $12 million range you know, the, these Kendrick Bourne types from San Francisco, Samuel's kind of the high end of that tier, perhaps. But I would make a strong push to dramatically upgrade that position. You've got McLaurin. That doesn't mean you're set. You need to do something opposite him and slide guys like Cam Sims and Kelvin Harmon down the depth chart. And, and when they're hungry, good things happen. Create some competition and see who steps forward. You mentioned Cam Sims, so the idea that like you were saying you would even consider getting two receivers, you know, pay up a get to suggest that other than McLaurin, there's really nobody else on this team you want to even kind of like if you're giving somebody ten, if you're giving two guys ten million dollars, you're realistically there to the starters. Cam Cam Sims, for what it's worth, is a restricted free agent, but we can guess he'll be back. Um, is that is that my reading you right then that like other than McLaurin is really nobody else you're dying to give too much of a, a look to I mean look, I like those guys fine and Sims did have some moments and some games but he, he has had plenty of time here it's not to say that I'll be devastated if I've got to watch Cam Sims next season he came on Cam Sims I think in a, in a perfect world is a you know is a fourth guy who when there's an injury or two steps in and plays uh, if I'm going to be a championship level first division offense, if I'm going to not be you know, Cam Sims can start for you. If you're going to be 29th or 30th in offense, I mean, he's an undrafted free agent who caught 33 balls at Alabama. Having said that, I don't dislike him. I liked Kelvin Harmon coming out 70 catches, a thousand yards, couple straight seasons in the ACC. I, but those guys to me are depth guys. They are back of the wide receiver rotation types. If you want to have an upper echelon group at that position and you want to actually move the football through the air and make guys like Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke level up, Cam Sims is not doing that. Uh, potentially, Allen Robinson and Terry McLaurin would. A Chris Godwin would. Uh, Will Fuller, who can't stay on the field. But same thing, like, go sign him. Th those are the types of guys, to me, 
that are impact players at the position. That's what I'm looking for. Um, wide receiver made my list. I don't disagree that they've got to do something. And regardless of what I think, it seems pretty apparent that they think they need to do something. Like you mentioned Amari Cooper a year ago. They did then you know, dial it back and not go spend crazy on anybody else, but they clearly made a big push for him. And there's more guys like him this year, you know, some, some impact guys. You can also mention like a Juju Smith-Schuster because I kind of like almost getting the slot guy more than the outside guy, um, you know, and that would be like- I think Smith- that's smart. On any cost less. Right. And also, like, I don't disagree with you that, like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that all these other depth guys we have are much more than that. But between Cam Sims, Antonio Gandy-Golden, Kelvin Harmon, I'm not going to count Isaiah Wright, but if you want to, that's fine. There are some guys there that I they're all going to be essentially on the outside. Can I, can I think that I'm going to get one of these guys to be something consistent over the course of a year. I think there's a decent chance. Obviously, we don't know much about Gandy Golden at this point. Cam Sims did do pretty well as the year went on. He led the lead, he led the team in uh, receiving yards against Tampa Bay. So, like, if you get to that slot guy, and look, I know Steven Sims is still around, but he was, you know, a disappointment last year. Um, that, to me, seems interesting. The Curtis Samuel obvious connection because of the Carolina ties previously. I think Urban Meyer is going to want him, though, as well, <laughs> Ohio State guy. So, we'll see how that how that plays out. But yeah, I mean, I do think that there's something there. Here's my one caveat, though, with Grant. Here's here's my thing, and this is this is either overthinking or looking too far down the line or, or whatever. In 2023, Terry McLaurin is going to come up for free agency, and I don't like spending a lot of my assets on wide receiver. I think it's overly dependent position. It's for that's far away from the from the ball every snap. Um, I, I don't like spending on that spot. I'll spend on one guy. I don't want to spend two. And if I'm spending real money on one of these other guys one of my I mean obviously I'm not going to let McLaurin go but now I'm spending a lot of money at that position for me that's not good I don't like that I will also say that this is a year where the draft is pretty deep again I don't really want to add another young guy but on some level I'd rather probably take a day two guy than spend 18 to 20 million dollars for the combination of reasons I just said so that would be my one caveat of, of, of going hardcore receiver I think all of that's smart. I think you're a smart football person. I, I believe what you're saying is true, and I, I subscribe to it generally. I think that um, they ha- currently have the money to make a splash, and that's a position where there are really talented guys that aren't normally available who are going to be available. And if you can pounce on them, I would do it, and I'm going to worry about Terry McLaurin coming up in free agency a couple of years from now when i got to worry about it. I, I get that you have to have some foresight and you're saying there's no way you would want to spend 39 million or something on two wide receivers. But I, I think that's a bridge you can cross when you get there. The fact is very simple. They've had a terrible offense for two straight years. Uh, and, and there were things I liked about this past year, but I'm talking about where they rank. You know, you talk about yards per play and yards per game and it's 28 through 32 in a lot of categories the last couple of years. There's one way to fix that. You get football players. You know, you're not going to scheme your way out of that with um, J.D. McKissick and Logan Thomas and and what what they've got. Those guys are very talented and were great fits and had unbelievable years. McKissick had the most catches by a back in this city since Larry Centers. Logan Thomas proved a lot of people wrong and looks like a legitimate, authentic tight end in this league. But building an offense around them and McLaurin as your one scary weapon – is just it's not going to get you into the top 10 or 12 in the national football league in offense so i don't care where you add the weapons but you got to add them i I don't think it makes sense to to throw your assets at the backfield you could try to go the route of tight end potentially and add to logan thomas 
to me, it makes the most sense to do it at wide receiver. Short of upgrading quarterback, though, that's the only way they're going to progress, right? I would ask you, or rhetorically, or for you to answer, I mean, how do you improve on offense if you're not bringing in weapons? It's, it's yeah, not, it's well, I'm with you. I mean, like I said, I, I, I think you have to do something. That's why I like, think the Curtis Samuel, you know, I don't know what he is. In that camp, like, go get two kind of third, fourth tier guys that cost you a combined maybe like 18 mil or something like that, like the two – nine millions. I mean, they've done that in the past where I'm trying to think at that time, what the equivalent would be like the exchange, right? Like the Josh Morgan type players has not always worked out, but they could go that route. I'd have no problem with that, by the way, Ben, if they, if they signed even one, but, but certainly two guys in the middle of the pack, like the Curtis Samuel and someone else, um, you know, I, I like uh, Josh Reynolds who, who from the Rams is going to be available uh, because they've paid Cooper cup and, and Robert Woods, a lot of money. I also like, um, Oh, who did I see that was available? Who's an interesting name the other day? Well, uh, Gerald Everett didn't he have a, he on the Rams? Didn't he have a good game? He, he, yeah, I, tight end. Yeah, Gerald Everett's going to be available. I was I was thinking of just Reynolds just because of the you know the the wide receiver need, but um but a couple guys like that that are that are like going to be available because they're in coming out of markets where they got some cube some some wide receivers, big time productive guys. But yeah, oh the, the one I was thinking of was um. Oh, damn, I just lost again. Well, but the bottom line is uh, I'm I'm totally okay going that route. I am. I just, as long as they bring someone in here, they're, they're projecting some big-time production from. I had a cough for a second. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I would probably say if I was going to spend on two guys just to get off this, go hard for one receiver and maybe look at that second tight end position. The backups behind Logan Thomas are non-existent. And like I said, you at least that receiver have – enough guys you can you know take a shot on we are again you've already been somewhat pro, a little bit productive the tight end they really have to get somebody else so maybe the second move would be to get somebody there logan thomas is a free agent after the next season so something to consider there the other guy i was thinking about by the way that i i said 16 times i remembered and then i didn't remember was demarcus robinson from the chiefs i like demarcus robinson a lot like players that are the third or fourth guy in great offenses, you know, who come here and maybe get a bigger role. Sean Jackson, you want him? No, I don't want him. Figure, figure I had to ask. Uh, all right. So the, uh, we'll wrap the, we'll wrap up this uh, conversation here with Grant Paulson from 1067, the fan with the position that ultimately will on many levels determine whether this offense gets anywhere or not. We've talked about quarterback a bunch on this podcast. Grant's talked about it a ton on his radio show. Uh, he talks about, I'm sure, with, with, his, with, with his wife, with his kid, with his neighbor, and his mailman. It's all anybody wants to know what's Washington going to do with the quarterback. I was talking to somebody in a medical office the other day after I was doing some uh, making an appointment and things were like, hey, by the way, uh, who's going to start a quarterback next year? I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, and that's the truth. I don't, think, I don't think they know what to do at this point unless you're just going to say it's Kyle Allen and they're going to draft somebody, uh, which I don't think is the case. So the question really is at this point, where are you at? I mean, we're, we've been talking about this so long, it's kind of getting old on some level. Deshaun Watson's not available. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not willing to just sit here and say they, they, that they just go get him. And even if he is available, I think there's plenty of other teams that have more assets to, to move unless you're willing to trade Chase Young, which I assume they're not. So I'm not counting him. I'm not counting Dak. Russell Wilson didn't put them down on the list of teams, even if he is traded. So I'm not going to count him. So to me, it's all these, you know, sort of misfit toys on various levels. Uh, I wrote about that in the story as well. By the way, you could keep Alex Smith. Let me just not discount that. But where where are you kind of at right now? If I just sort of you make the call within reason, what, what are you doing? 
Well, I'm as of this point, because I've missed out on a couple of things I wanted, I'm probably riding with Allen and Heineke, to be completely honest with you. I may draft someone in the mid rounds potentially, uh, but my philosophy has changed over the course of the last several weeks. So I, I wanted Matthew Stafford badly. Yeah. I would have been ultra aggressive in trying to get him. As it turned out, the Rams swooped in and because they were unloading Jared Goff had to give up another one. So I, I couldn't compete. It was a poison pill offer, so to speak. Um, I would have loved to have, have offered more even than Washington did and gotten Matthew Stafford, but I can't give him what the Rams did. I wasn't giving up two ones. That would have been ridiculous. Um, so that was my number one goal. That was my number one priority. There's a lot of guys I'd love that you just named that I don't deem as realistic either. So I'm not going to waste my time. Of course, I want Deshaun Watson and, and some of the other names that the Dak Prescott. I just don't think that's happening. So of the available options, I would call the Raiders and I would talk about Derek Carr. I would see what it would take. Uh, I would offer them the exact same thing I was willing to offer for Matt Stafford, which is a one and a three. If they basically said, no, we're not doing that, I think they would because they're not going to do better than Carr. Gruden's going into his third or his fourth year at this point. I think it's third year. So they're not trying to start over, and they don't think Marcus Mariota is a starter, clearly based on what they pay him. Then um, then I would, I would have to sit it out. I'd say, okay, I'm not giving you two ones. I'm not adding a bunch. I might throw an A sweetener if it were one, a three, and a six or something like that. If I could get Derek Carr, I would do that. Uh, after Derek Carr, th the only other deal I'm trying to swing maybe is a late round pick from Mariota uh, to bring him in here to compete. I don't think very highly of him as a passer. I do think he's a terrific athlete. He's mobile. He's a dual threat. He can make plays in this offense. I think he would fit with what they do. And I believe I've just been told by too many people that Ron Rivera wants someone who can run, wants someone who can move, wants someone who can break out of the pocket and, and make some plays. So I would offer a six, you know, maybe even upwards of a five for a Mariota, just like I did for Kyle Allen. But what I would tell you is other than that type of a move, I'm not just signing a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm not signing someone for a year. I'm not bringing in Andy Dalton. I'm riding with what I got. Like those guys are Jags and I'm just going to stick with the guys that know my offense who are already in that category. I'll stick with my Jags. And I, I think Allen is better than a lot of people do. I'm not telling you he's a, a you know, a 10 year starter in this league, but I think he has proven now and over multiple years that he can play at the NFL level. There's questions about their ability. I'm not as sold on Heineke as a lot of other people are, but I loved what I saw from him. So I, I am, I wanted to swing for the fences. They weren't able to do that or didn't try other than Stafford. Here we are. I'm now willing to just kind of wear it this season and figure it out next year. If I have to with those two guys. Um, I, but you, you, you use the term Jag. I always feel like the term Jag, it sounds way worse than what the act, what, what the actuality is. Like if you call somebody a Jag, it really seems disrespectful, but just like, they're just a guy. Like it's not that, whatever. I mean, they're all, they're just a guy, but like a Jags, <laughs> I always think it just sounds way worse than the, uh, than, than the actual words. Uh, I certainly don't mean it disrespectfully. It means you're a middle of the pack quarterback. Yeah. Right? yeah. I'm saying, but if you, if you call somebody a Jag, it, it sounds yeah. worse than what it is. Uh, I'm with you. I mean, my take has been, I'm going for one of these upside guys, your Mariotas, your Winstons, your Trubisky's, uh, you know, Sam Darnold, maybe Teddy Bridgewater, if they, if, they, if they become available. Like, I'm going for one of those guys. I'm not going for the Andy Dalton types because I, I what, what are we doing with that? Like, we, you got Kyle Allen. He's already, we already kind of have a feeling what he is. And 
you know, that, that's not a thing. Worst case, you can go out and um, sign that equivalent guy later. By the way, it, you know, if you, if you, if they get a quarterback one way or the other, they're not drafting one, right? Because you already know how Kyle Allen realistically and Taylor Heineke has been signed. So if you add a third guy, that's, that, that's your quarterback. So they're not getting, they're not bringing in Kyle Allen to then get rid of him. They're not, they're not drafting a quarterback and then having one of these guys have to go. So they may determine that, look, we do think Kyle Allen can be the guy if he's healthy and Taylor Heineke showed enough. So we'll do that. We'll draft somebody in the middle round, which not, I believe you should draft a quarterback almost every year, somewhere between round four and seven within reason. Um, this may not be a within reason scenario, but that's, I think, important to remember. It, it can't just be they sign somebody in for agency and draft a quarterback. That's Ooh. not happening with Allen and Heineke back. Run me through. You You named a few guys. I, I heard Trubisky, and I, I ran into a wall and stopped there. No thank you on Mitch Trubisky. He's horrendous. Who else did you say? For what it's worth, like, I mean, in talking to our Bears guy, Kevin Fishbane, and talking to some other people, like, Trubisky wasn't bad last year, but they just didn't they, – they, the, 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 the coach came in after Trubisky was there and just never seemed to buy in, which I'm not saying is wrong, but they never did the things for him. I think he actually could work with Scott Turner, but he's further down on my list. Uh, you know, M- Mariota, I-, I was told they tried to make it, they tried to trade for him, didn't work out. They've sub- subsequently cooled for him. I think the issue is the contract on some level, but that can be dealt with. I wrote about this in the story. I, I won't repeat it too much here. You can go read the story, but like, there's something that can be dealt with it. You don't have to trade for it as is where yeah. if he makes the clauses, he can make upwards of 22, 23 million, which would mean from a next year salary makes him like among the like top 10 highest paid quarterback so that's not ideal um Winston would be great but or it would be interesting but he's gonna probably stay in New Orleans I would guess uh, are you trading a second round yeah, pick for free agency he's the one veteran free agent that I would consider signing I would agree but like I said I, I it just seemed like just too much working against the idea of him leaving New Orleans um though they don't have a lot of money if somebody makes a big offer maybe uh he would have no uh he'd have no choice um so that, that's what I would do. I mean, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, I'm kind of putting on the side for a variety of reasons, even though there's obvious connections here. And Sam, I mean, in talking to people around the league, Darnold is probably the guy that most people seem to have an interest in, but you're probably gonna have to trade, I'm guessing here, like a second and a fifth for a guy who has not done much yet. You would have to extend, <clears throat> you at a minimum have to pick up his fifth year and probably have to extend to justify the second round pick. So, you know, that's a lot going on. And uh um, I, I, I don't know. So I don't know. I, I, but and last thing I'll just say on this, our Raiders guy, Vic Tafer, who was like one of these guys who's been covering the team forever. Yeah. He, he does a great job. He's been telling me for a while. He thinks he's been, he's been reporting this. He doesn't get why people keep talking about trading for Mario. He just thinks they're going to ultimately release him. They have no choice. Well, yeah. That you mentioned that to me, I guess on my show, I think a little while ago. And I, I love that. I mean, honestly, like if, if the, you don't feel like you have to trade him, then yeah, because that the problem with acquiring him on his contract, as you said, is that it could be worth so much more. If they really might cut him, then I would that to me, that's the best case scenario. If he gets cut and you can sign him on the cheap, it also means you don't have to necessarily invest as much time or energy in him as a starting option, right? If if he comes a lot cheaper, it would mean that you could have an actual competition. And Ron Rivera did say on my show, he came on my show right after the end of the season, the week after they got eliminated, he said his biggest regret this year was not having a quarterback competition at the beginning of the season uh, and just kind of thrusting Dwayne Haskins into the starting spot. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, if you trade for Mariota, then you have Mariota. If he gets cut, now you're dealing with whoever else needs a quarterback. I was told to keep an eye on the Eagles for what it's worth, but uh, I don't know. Uh, but the, the Bears obviously still need a quarterback. Uh, Carolina does. I don't, doesn't seem like Mariota would make sense for them, but you know, whatever. So uh, that's the thing. You'd, you would be having to, uh, you know, battle other teams um, versus just trading for them. Um, anything else we need to discuss with you before I let you go back into your world and, uh, and all that? I don't think so. I look forward to seeing what they decide to do. And I'm pumped up for the start of free agency. I think being at 19 in the draft while it's out of the quarterback realm and out of the quarterback mix, probably for them, which is not fortuitous, uh, is actually a really fun spot in terms of trying to figure out what they're going to do. Because I think we talked linebacker, wide receiver, tackle. Uh, you, you could even look at a secondary. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do there depending on how the draft falls. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Who has a better chance of being on this team next year, Ryan Kerrigan or Trent Williams? Ryan Kerrigan, because I think the the chance of Trent Williams is zero percent, and the chance of Ryan Kerrigan is like uh, maybe like twenty three percent. I don't think it's zero percent on Trent Williams. Really? I don't think it's zero percent. I think if Brandon Sheriff leaves, that can't they can't really keep Brandon Sheriff and Trent Williams. I mean, I think Trent Williams stays in San Francisco, but I don't think it's inconceivable. He said that he thought there was a chance. He could stay once Rivera took over. He said nothing but nice things about uh, at the end. He was with Martin Mayhew last year in San Francisco. Washington has all the money to spend if they want to. He's obviously the best tackle at his position. Now, again, I'm just paying. I'm not. I'm ignoring at the moment all the <laughs> things that happened. But most of the other than Dan Snyder, which is not nothing, those other people left. I don't know if Dan Snyder would sign off on anything I just said. <laughs> because he still may be annoyed with how winning them down, but Bruce Allen's gone. The training staff is gone. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll bump it up to 0.0001%. <laughs> I'm going to stay in my, there's no chance Trent Williams is coming here. Camp. Fair enough. All right. On that, on that note, Grant, man, always appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Go check Grant and Danny out, of course, on 106.7, the fan afternoon drive. You know, by the way, you don't have to be in your car. You don't have to be driving to listen. They have a thing called a laptop, a computer. You can go to the radio.com app. I, I have it on my phone. You can go check that out. Um, and, you know, you don't have to just go listen just when I'm on. Like, go listen whenever whenever anybody's on. We appreciate that. Yeah. Listen in Monday through Friday, 2 to 6.30. Uh, definitely try to keep it fun for people during the uh, weird times, man. Oh, I'm glad you said the 6.30. I always think 6, so I'm glad you added the 30 part. because I. Oh, yeah. Right. We, we're, we're deep into the evening. We're keeping you company, whispering in your ear till games start in D.C. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You got it. All right. Uh, many thanks to Grant Paulson with, at 106.7 The Fan and Jim Nagy with the Senior Bowl and ESPN. Thanks to everybody here for listening. Fun episode there. Got into free agency, got into the draft, got to this team, and there's more to come for sure. Again, check out my story on The Athletic. Subscribe there. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. And most of all, stay safe. Uh, we're still living in weird times. Hope everyone's hanging in there. I should have said that at the top, but forgive me. My brain isn't always functioning <laughs> these days myself. But I hope you guys are doing all right. Staying strong. We'll talk soon. And until next time, see you.